0: When it comes to discussing our bodies, we often get a little uncomfortable. Women's health issues are often seen as off-limits, taboo topics we just don't talk about. It's time for that to change. Let's talk. Welcome to the Brave Mama podcast, where we are going to do exactly that, discuss everything from periods to pregnancy, motherhood to menopause. No topic is off-limits. Join Stephanie Thompson, the brave mama and author of The Day My Vagina Broke, as she asks other brave women about their personal health challenges and triumphs. You will learn, laugh and cry as Stephanie finds out everything you wanted to know but were too afraid or embarrassed to ask. So grab a cuppa and enjoy. I wonder what you would consider to be a successful labour and delivery because we would all have our different views thoughts and opinions about childbirth, I'm guessing that you're here because you probably have more questions around this childbirth space than you've been able to find answers. And while we certainly don't pretend to have all the answers, this is why we invite special guests like April Davis on the show. You may know her from her vagina blog. What you may not know is that she also has many, many years in this birthing space. In her previous life as a doula, Oh, and she was a birthing photographer as well. So April has seen it all. She has been to so many different types of birth and what she's bringing to this conversation will give you so much value because it comes from a range of different perspectives. If you want to find out more about how to find a really good healthcare provider that will sit down with you to say, how can I best serve and care for you? If that's you then stick around to the end of this episode. And while we're speaking of providing good care, our friends over at Modibody have joined us for this episode. Modibody is the go-to brand for any of life leaks. With a full range of apparel products that are great for periods, leaks, postpartum bleeding, leaky boobs, as well as reusable nappies, Modibody is designed to support you for all of your stages of life. The latest collection to join the Body family is the new Ultra range, which offers undies that absorbed bladder leaks. They can hold up to 250 mils of liquid. Yes, undies. No pad, no disposables. So gross? No. Smelly? Not at all. But comfy? Yeah. I've been using Body for my period and bladder leaks for years, and I've saved hundreds if not thousands, of disposable products from ending up in landfill. Some of these plastic products take up to 500 years to break down. So support your leaks and help save the planet with Modibody. Use the code bravemama 22 for 15% off your first order. This will exclude sale items, bundles, gift cards and maxi 24 hours. It expires on the 31st of December 2022. So let's jump into this episode with April. Hello April, it is amazing. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I am more excited about your shirt, by the way, because that is amazing. <laughs> when I see that It's a good those, one. For those who obviously can't see, it says never underestimate the power of being a woman in capital letters amazing Mm -hmm. tell us april who were you before becoming a mama
1: i was a wife before becoming a mother we were married almost five years before we had our first and i mean it's i had been Mm -hmm. studying emergency medicine and digital motion picture production wow i've kind of some background in a lot of that type of stuff i worked as a professional photographer it really wasn't until getting pregnant with my first that I started to get interested in childbirth and kind of that realm. Yes. And it's funny because even coming from like an emergency medicine background, I was very against home birth. And then that's actually what I ended up working in later in life oh. uh, after having kids and then had my third at home. So it's really funny to see my progression, you know? Uh, so yeah, yeah. That- different person, completely different person.
0: <laughs> and that's probably because as you went along your journey, you learned more became more I informed more. in every yep. aspect and then were yes. able to make your own decisions, right? Mm-hmm. That's yep. wonderful. Very different. Yeah. yeah. So you just touched on it there, which I'm interested to find out. Your first birth was that in the hospital setting?
1: Yeah. So I hired an obstetrician and delivered in the hospital. It was medicated. And what I'm kind of grateful for, I didn't suffer any major trauma. I actually Mm -hmm. very straightforward vaginal delivery, minimal damage, uh, overall positive experience. I just, I kind of left it feeling like I just want to kind of do that differently next time. Sure. Yeah. Um, I just didn't love some of the aspects of it. Um, and so with my second, I became completely obsessed with childbirth. I wanted to know everything. I was reading midwifery textbooks and medical textbooks and book after book after book after book. And my frustration too was with my first, I'd read some into hypnobirthing, okay. which yeah. talks a lot about like, you know, you get into this mindset and so the pain is yeah. not a big deal. With my second, I was like, I want someone to tell me that, yes, this is indeed very painful, but here's how you deal with it. And so that brought me to the work of like I to make agathetic skin, spiritual midwifery, like some of that fun, fun stuff. Um, I still felt like I wanted to deliver in the hospital, but I hired a nurse midwife instead. Sure. I was able to have an unmedicated childbirth. Things went beautifully, just unfolded so wonderfully. And I just left out so empowered. And I was like, I want to give every single person this exact experience. So I went on from there to become a doula and I worked with a nurse midwife doing home deliveries as a birth assistant, Then I also worked as a birth photographer. So it gave me a really unique opportunity to see birth in every setting, yeah. with every kind of provider. I was working as a doula with all different types of birthing situations and also as a photographer coming in and observing birth. Which was really interesting because they don't, you know, when you're there as a photographer, no one's thinking that you know anything about anything. That you're just there to take pictures. <laughs> of course. So I was kind of able, because doctors act differently when they think a doula's there. Do they just they? do tell us how why how this is a lot of the reason that I've kind of ended up in the work that I am now I went into one as a doula and once I got there and had been there for a little while the couple I was with was like we're so glad you're here they didn't explain anything to us they weren't telling us anything that was going on suddenly now that you're here they're over explaining and telling us everything what and I was like, it should not be a requirement that you have to hire a doula in order to get good care at the hospital. Like, that's crazy. But really, as a doula, you know what questions to ask, you know what questions to encourage the couple to ask or the person in labor to ask. You are kind of giving them, like, I was even, I was at a birth photographer to birth one time and they wanted to like augment her labor further and she'd been wanting so much to not be overly augmented with Pitocin or anything I was like well just ask him to get the breast pump and she's like why would I do that and I was like oh well if we can get you on the breast pump we can probably get some stronger contractions going let's put you on the ball and she was like okay we did that she had a baby like an hour later and she's like I'm so glad you were here and I was covering for another photographer so it was even funnier oh, anyway because, yeah she so, didn't
0: have that relationship she just went oh no wow. I just
1: kind of was a stranger that showed up to take pictures and yeah. so but the hospitals here they're not going to offer those things to you they're going to offer you drugs you know they're just going to augment it with pitocin they're not going to say let's put you on a pump so there's some of those things that like having a doula around is definitely beneficial and of course I'm there to help partners as well show them like hey this is what's going to be really helpful this is how we do this this is I just want to empower them to be the best support for whoever's in labor because you know Um, what
0: April this is the thing mm -hmm. we've discovered right is that we invite our birthing partner be it your husband your partner your mom whoever's Mm -hmm. there with you And we say support us okay okay and Mm -hmm. they say okay but we don't (laughs) we don't tell
1: them how we don't tell
0: them because we don't need we don't even know what we
1: need we may not need no yeah. We yeah. may not know. And this is another reason that doulas can be so powerful because they could say, okay, come here. You're going to put this washcloth on and you're going to squeeze your hips just like this. And it's going to blow her mind. She's going to, you're going to be her favorite person. Cause that's, that's a win for me is mm-hmm. that, you know, I make the partner, the hero, like that's, that's what we want ultimately, Aww, right. Is less. to bond that together better. Yeah. That's what, that's a good doula. When you're interviewing doulas, those are the questions you want to be asking a doula is like, how are you going to support my partner so, to support me? You know,
0: can I ask a question about doulas? How Hmm. long have birthing doulas and that, because I only heard that word for the first time, maybe 2012, one of my parents who I was teaching her child, she goes, I'm a doula. And I nodded and went, oh, okay, lovely. What the hell is that? (laughs) What is that? And I didn't say anything, (laughs) but I was pregnant at the time. And I didn't even know that there was a link. I was like, oh, I don't even know what a doula is. But for my mom's generation, they don't understand. Mm -mm. So when did they kind of Mm -mm. become a thing?
1: I think about that time we started to see it become more and more popular i, I mean the the unfortunate truth is that a hundred years ago all mm. your aunts or sisters or girlfriends or mom or showed up and fulfilled these roles right right and we moved birth into the hospital especially here in the u.s like I, you guys have done a much better job over there. they, <laughs> they we always birth. yeah i don't think i don't think well but the way that your system runs is a little different your hospitals are typically staffed which much, much more by midwives yes you can't have enough you're not doing
0: sorry you can't have enough unless there's a reason unless you pay for one so you can pay privately yeah. for one or unless you need them but yes they are generally run by midwives yeah
1: yeah and when you check in you're seeing a midwife, not a nurse yeah correct yeah, so yeah. we're, okay, going so in, we're dealing with it's different a nursing staff and a doctor who shows up Five minutes before you deliver.
0: Okay. Yeah. Right. That's really different. I'm like going, oh, I feel silly it's for saying it. <laughs> okay. Maybe no, I don't feel silly, but you know what? I'm going to save because myself. You're doing a better job. I'm coming in from the angle of I think we've got birth trauma rates similar to you guys, even through midwifery or obstetric care. We're still totally. failing our women. You know, too much. One is too much to me. But anyway, sorry, I digress.
1: Yeah. I agree. No, I agree. Like it's none of us are doing it perfectly. Yes. But the attitudes at which Western Europe has has moved birth into the hospital, Mm. very different from how birth moved into the hospital here in the US. Mm. And our mortality rates are going up here. We're killing more people now. It was safer to have a baby when our mothers were having babies. Wow. Wow. yeah it's real bad it's really <laughs> like, bad and but our we, intervention rates are out of control because we're being delivered by obstetricians because why do you need an obstetrician if you're having a completely normal vaginal delivery
0: well i don't know i don't know the answer for everyone but i can tell you the answer for me personally is because mm. i was left to labor for a really long time and when baby was posterior and she became stuck mm-hmm they had to get someone right of
1: course but that's a reason to go pull in an OB right yeah 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 Yeah. you had a good reason that's but the midwifery model of care is fantastic and it's far more women like birthing person centered right Mm -hmm. yeah um the medical model of care is very doctor centered
0: An ego, right? Let's call it for what it is. From
1: what I... It is. Well, and it's what's convenient for them.
0: Yeah. And I'm not in any political space here, but I did understand that through research that birthing is such a political issue. It's not about the woman. It's never about the woman. Mm -hmm. It's political Mm -hmm. on both sides. And Mm -hmm. I feel like, wouldn't it be amazing, April, if we could get a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of doula and make the most amazing team
1: with the, the mom plan. in the middle
0: with the pregnant person in with, the middle
1: with, exactly exactly isn't that that I mean that but that really is how it should be and so when we saw birth move into the hospital unfortunately we lost partner support not that we had it not that that was a huge thing 100 years ago anyway but it was completely taken away right yeah um, we lost fam- familial support because they isolated people from their families, from their partners, from anybody to do anything. And then we had things like, yeah, twilight sleep happen, like just all these weird interventions and other stuff. And so we really destroyed that model of care. And doulas, I feel like, have become our answer to moving back towards physiological birth. Okay. And have people being supported in order to do that. And unfortunately, like like I said, it shouldn't be necessary, but In so many cases it is. And it's unfortunate too, because like you really have to be in a position of privilege to afford a doula and you're already shelling out how much money to deliver a baby. So like my baby, my second one was born here in the hospital. It cost us $10,000 with insurance. What? Out of pocket? (laughs) $10,000? Out of pocket. I didn't even have an epidural and I delivered with a midwife. Wow. $1,000. I was in the hospital for two days for recovery and that's it. Went home and had to take care of myself and everything else. They saw me again at six weeks. And that 10000 was my hospital bill. My prenatals were another bill for another $2,000. Wow.
0: We are, we are so <laughs> lucky in Australia. And I hope the Australian mamas know that. Even though I had a really traumatic, horrible experience, it, we are still very lucky. I didn't then get a $10,000 bill for that. Could you imagine? Yeah. Imagine having a traumatic yeah. experience And then getting that Mm -hmm. in the mail, 10 grand, you'd be like, fuck
1: off. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, it's the worst. And that's Ah. what happens every day here in the US. So because we see a lot of maternal morbidity, right? Tons and tons and tons of birth trauma, birth violence, and other problems. Here where I live, we actually have really great... So it it concerns me greatly that even in the place where I live, where the care is very good, Mm -hmm. we're still seeing a lot of birth trauma. We're still seeing a lot of maternal morbidity and other issues. And it, (sighs) (laughs) but (laughs) this is is why like. Yeah, this is why I started the vagina blog because my thought process was if I can help empower and educate people Mm -hmm. long before they get to the point where they're choosing doctors, where they're having babies, ideally, hopefully by then we can have empowered people to have a voice in what's going on.
0: Bingo. That is just the magic. And let's talk about that some more now. I know we've kind of skipped your third baby's delivery. (laughs) The third baby always gets a bit (laughs) forgotten, don't they? (laughs) <laughs> there's less and less photos of the third child isn't it don't they say um oh well you know yeah. <laughs> so the vagina blog and I guess that 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 for you was born through your experience of becoming a doula and wanting to share this information how did that all come to be? I
1: had my third and I get very sick with my pregnancies. So I kind of okay. had to retire a little bit from birth work. I get, I, I have hyperemesis gravidarum, so I can't keep food down for the nine months I'm pregnant. It's the worst. It's cannot cute. recommend it. <laughs> it's terrible. Did you have that so all I'd, three, April? I did. I did. My third mm. was my hardest. I think he's, I have two girls and a boy. Mm. I always had hoped like maybe if I get pregnant with a boy, this will be better. No, yeah. oh, gosh. <laughs> and so I had him was starting to get back into working in childbirth, and my second was diagnosed with type one diabetes.
0: Oh,
1: right, and it's a that's a it's a really high Heavy. maintenance, expensive mm. disease, and so I go, going back to being on call wasn't an option for me, and I was like, sure. what do I even do? With all of this information, I've been doing all this for this long and I want to do this and this and this. And so building out the vagina blog was just really the next best thing since I couldn't be on call working in birth.
0: Because you could do it from home, right? Around yeah. the family? Yep. Around just yeah.
1: all of the things that you... You're- because working in childbirth, you're on call. And so I was constantly just tossing my children to whoever would catch up, basically. And once I, once you have a very high-maintenance child... Yeah. Todd. I just couldn't do that. I couldn't do yeah. that anymore. And she was five at the time. And so oh. she's little. And it's no one wants to be like, hey, can you watch this child? Here's all the syringes. Here's all the stuff. And it needs to be refrigerated. And every single thing time she eats something, you need to give her, you know, just, like it's just was too much, it's too much to ask of, of everybody. And so so I, I did this. I just thought this is the best step to the side. This is a community I wanted to build anyway. And and maybe I can save people from the terrible experiences that I've witnessed um, by educating them
0: amazing reinventing yourself going through that shedding and coming out and just going yep here I am so tell us a little bit about it because it's not just a vagina blog and I love that you've called it that because like my book the day my vagina broke people were scared Mm -hmm. of the word vagina at Mm -hmm. first Mm -hmm. even in my family like to be honest oh yeah
1: It's uh,
0: what has it been three years since I've released it. We always called it in our family around the kids the Brave Mama book, and now because of the podcast, the kids know. Oh, there's Mummy's broken vagina. Mummy has a broken vagina. (laughs) 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 But now, (laughs) oh, I love it. (laughs) I was was like, please just don't say it at kindergarten. Please, please don't say that. People couldn't look at you the same. But that's changing, mm-hmm. right? By us using those words in the exact tie, like there it is. Read it. Oh yeah. Don't be scared of it.
1: And but- I, I love how "vulva" just rolls rolls off my kids' tongues. Just I'm like, oh wow, that that one still gets me sometimes. <laughs> my <laughs> vulva this, and I'm like, oh okay, yep, it's good. You know what? You know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I love it. It's really good. So you started just by writing the, the things that you know and sharing that information, but it's so much more than that today. Let us know what's been happening with the vagina blog.
1: Well, I so I I had mommy blogged for a couple of years on and off here okay. and there. And it was so funny because people would come over and they'd be like, I love your recipes, but why do you talk about vagina so much? Or I came here for vagina stuff. Why are you posting so much recipes? Like <laughs> Whatever, or like, we don't care about your kids, you know, (laughs) like it was because I I think that there's benefit in niching down and getting kind of specific. So I made that decision to niche down all the way to what I was really passionate about. And we were, I mean, really, I started at the very tail end of like blogs, kind of stopped being as much of a thing. And we moved more into things like Instagram and podcasts. And and, yeah, TikTok has happened, which is hard (laughs) and all the things. Right. So I, uh, I just made a home for myself on Instagram and started running with stuff there. And I feel like that's definitely home base for me in terms of, Mm. of social media platforms. I have a podcast as well that I love doing. That's been really great. And it's just been a really neat experience building this community.
0: I want to talk about podcasts, but first that's where I found you on Instagram. I feel like it's either, I don't know about you, but I feel like our age demographic is broken into three equal parts. We've got the Instagram, the Facebook, and then I just want to read. So we've got these generation of women who all want something different. So have you continued your writing as well?
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Well no, like, yeah. I my so I'm in school full time right now, and oh. so a lot of my writing at this point in my life is research papers in school, and so I'm not doing a lot of it technically professionally. Sure. And I hate APA writing, so I'm miserable. <laughs> <laughs> Can you share with us what you're studying? Oh yeah, so I um I am back in school right now. I'm doing my undergrad in psychology, and I wow. can't decide. I'm in the middle of deciding what I want to do with my masters. I had a plan. And of course, once you start into things, plans change. So I'm I'm part of me wants to pursue midwifery mm-hmm. and, and switch over. Uh but then I also I originally went in to do sex therapy and I still am very passionate and love that. So yeah, we'll just see where I land.
0: <laughs> Potentially that trauma <laughs> space might even cover all of that because exactly sex, sex therapy oh. and you know prolapse and all those things around vagina and trauma Mm -hmm. they all intertwine eventually right totally
1: and you know it's interesting the nurse midwife i used to work for she told me she's like i i feel like i probably should have an undergrad in psychology based on caring for clients you know because really she's like i do plenty of sex therapy in my practice
0: (laughs) definitely definitely do you know yeah i don't even know if you could answer this it's probably more of a question that When it comes to midwifery-led care, I feel like the belief systems and the ideology around that is all very positive, natural, and they say normal. I can't use the word normal with that because there's nothing about my my birth that felt normal. I know it means no intervention. I get that now, technically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure that because after birth, my midwife said what happened to me was normal. It was common. And in Mm -hmm. your experience, do you commonly see women who have lots of traumatic experiences with forceps and episiotomies and then they're told it's normal
1: oh all the time that's what's so frustrating it is not normal it is okay to have PTSD after that birth trauma is real Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of our work is going to be continuing to validate that birth trauma is real and it's really Mm -hmm. frustrating that you know when you go into your care provider that they don't validate that and I mean, here we see them not validating that because they don't want to get sued.
0: Correct. I that's my gut feeling, hundred percent, and yeah. almost like they have to, they have to believe that what yeah. was that was normal. Like I honestly think it's within. I've seen her since once, and she kind of looked mm-hmm. at me like, "Yeah, what's, what's the prob- problem? What's the problem with that?"
1: Yeah, and I was like, "Shit." Yeah. And on top of it, I'm really done with that. Well, you're alive and the baby's alive, so I did a good job. Yeah, I, I'm, here. I'm done with this narrative. Yeah, I watched um one of my good friends, uh her epidural wore off. Okay. So by oh. the time she was delivering her, you know, she was in quite a bit of pain. Because mm-hmm. to go from in labor to numb to being able to feel there when the things are like the worst and your body hasn't had that buildup, because you're not going to release your own natural, yeah. uh, essentially, painkillers, if you will, right? if you've been on an epidural, because your body's like, Oh, I don't need to create that. Where, you know, that's taken care of. Well, if your are wears off and all of a sudden, yeah, you're pushing, like, that's a really intense experience to go through. Right. So she goes through that. I'm over like with her baby. I was there doing newborn assessment and it's, everything's great. I hear her like screech. So I go over and I was like, what is wrong? And she's like, what is he doing? Her doctor is stitching her up. And I was like, her epidural wore off. And he's like, I'm almost done. And I was like, lidocaine is on your tray. It is sitting right next to you. It will take you five extra minutes to put that in, let it take effect, and then go back to your stitching. He was like, I'm just about finished. Are you kidding? I was like, can you imagine a scenario where someone would cut open another man's scrotum and stitch it up with no lidocaine and be like, what's your problem? Why are you traumatized by this? What's wrong with you? you're healthy and alive. Your kids are all alive.
0: And that common thing is it's just childbirth. It's part of childbirth.
1: It's just part of it. Like, I I don't, no other scenario would we think that that was okay and gaslight people over it. So it's, it's really frustrating me that we've, we try to somehow make this like, well, everyone lived. So I did a good job, but I'm seeing that more and more and more in the medical field. The longer I've been the vagina blog, there's a handful of things I talk about that doctors get very upset about. And my outcry is where is the curiosity? Where's the concern? Where is your willingness to see problems and change them? I don't yes. understand what it is about medical training that suddenly means that nothing everything is perfect nothing needs to be changed and everything they did was exactly how it was supposed to be. It's a very strange isn't it <laughs> phenomenon within the medical field. Very frustrating.
0: It's bizarre and it's actually quite from the mom from the consumer's perspective mm-hmm. it's really confusing because yes we have what they call the gold standard of care here in Australia, which is the mid-free practice, where it's mm-hmm. the best. And you get to yes. know that person for a whole nine months and you trust in you. Like I, tr- I trusted her yeah. more than my mom. Yeah. Let's talk about how we don't want to scare mm-hmm. pregnant. And I know your blog is certainly not wanting to do that either. And some people say, mm-hmm. oh, but it could scare them. However, what I want to say is like you just touched on, it's not the pregnant women we need to scare, right? It's the people exactly. who were in charge for caring yep. for us because when yep. you feel fear, you move, you do something. Yep. When, when COVID yep. came and we were so scared, we all locked down in our house. We washed our hands. We wore masks. We changed. Mm-hmm. Majority, yep. majority of us. So yep. I think yes, until they're scared, and until the politicians who write those policies that keep those hospitals going are feeling scared, they're never mm-hmm. going to want to change, are they?
1: Well, it, it was interesting. Um, I had another good friend. She got drug out of the tub in labor by a couple of nurses while she was pushing. What? That was neat. They wouldn't just drain the tub. Um, no, they needed to drag her out. And then the doctor on call, her doctor just decided not to show up. The doctor on call was like, oh, I don't know how to deliver someone on a horse. I need you flat on your back. That's the only way I know how
0: shut the front door. Are you kidding me Mm -hmm. right now?
1: No, that really happened. So I was like, you need to write a Google review and a Facebook review. That was the only way she got any attention. She had messaged her doctor called the office, tried to talk to them, tried to process with someone. No one, everyone was like, this is not a problem. Soon as she left a Google review and a Facebook review, she got a lot of phone calls. I called the hospital and I was like, she's going to sue the pants off of you people. Like that was so wrong. I witnessed it. The nurses there witnessed it. Like what is wrong with you? And they were like, Oh, that sounds serious. I was like, I should not be having to call you and have these conversations with the hospital staff as a doula. Like this shouldn't be happening with a period at the end of that sentence. So it's really frustrating that it takes being that way. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. In order to get any sort of response from anybody about how, how much of a problem this really is. And luckily, coming at it from like a mental health perspective, we're definitely seeing like it's, it's very frustrating that, mm. that those are kind of the measures you have to take. It shouldn't be built this way. Mm. And so once again, it real, but it exposes, it exposes the built-in misogyny that we have yes. in medicine in general. Yes, It exposes what women's healthcare really looks like right now in the state of women's healthcare. And the numbers match up with how bad it is. Like you said, we have maternal mortality rates going up, maternal morbidity going up. We should not be seeing that. We should be seeing those things get better, not worse. And so the numbers are matching up with, with what's happening that's so frustrating and mm-hmm. then you you start talking about evidence-based practices mm-hmm. so many of the practices that are still being used routinely in hospitals are not evidence based mm. you know, <sighs> so can,
0: can i <laughs> can i jump in there only because this yeah. is, again from a mother's perspective i'd have no medical background whatsoever let's just make that really clear when however From hearing evidence based practice and from hearing from people who love to throw stats at you, no matter which side of birthing you're at. Totally. Either one of them, those, and I've questioned it, I've called it because I'm a curious person. I'm a why. I'm that two year old that says, but why? Why? mm -hmm. So when someone says the World Health Organization needs to reduce cesarean birth rates because they're too high, I say, why? But why? Like, I'm not asking because I don't agree with you. I'm genuinely wanting to know why is going from 34% to 25% better for women like me who probably really mm-hmm. needed one at that point? Mm-hmm. Why are we worried about a number when we're, once you start statting people, you take the human element out of the conversation. Mm-hmm. But I understand research needs stats. They have to have numbers. But from one camp, you will hear stats that are accurate for their communication. So if they need to say something, they will find a number that works really well for them. Mm-hmm. And same on the other side, you know, uh, I've heard me say, oh, induction, some high percentage of induction ruins your child's mental capacity. Like, and that was thrown at me after I'd had an induction. And I was like, mm-hmm. but why? Why do you need to mm-hmm. say that number? Do you know what I mean like this?
1: just Totally. Well, there's a direct correlation between induction and C-section rates, right? So we're able to just analyze the numbers and see that more inductions mean more C-sections. Um, there's a direct correlation between C-section rates and maternal mortality rates. So more C-sections means more women dying. So... Uh, with those numbers, Mm. they got to stop inducing unless it's necessary, because if it's necessary, it's a life-saving procedure, right? And if a C-section is necessary, it's a life-saving procedure,
0: Mm. but
1: if it's not necessary, Mm. you're giving someone a much more difficult recovery. You're putting them at significantly higher risk of infection. You're making breastfeeding harder. You're making postpartum recovery harder. You're making everything about it harder. Mm. The problem too is because we've put some weird stigma on C-sections, Yeah. people who have had C-sections just hear like, I don't need any more weird shame or sadness around this thing that that happened to me. Right. So then they hear these types of numbers and it's, it's hard not to bristle about this stuff. I'm coming at it. Like let's, the stigma doesn't make any sense. Let's get rid of that. Okay. doesn't make any sense. Um, what I'm looking at is who in the world wants to take care of a newborn after major surgery. <laughs> That's the worst thing I could wish upon anyone. Inductions are the worst. <laughs> like If they're not necessary, that is such a mean thing to do to somebody. <laughs> no one, no um, one wants to be on Pitocin. Well, I guess, unless you
0: want it, <laughs> I asked for, I know this sounds really crazy for you, right? Yeah. And, and this is where I feel m- where a big piece of the puzzle is missing the most. So I will say I work really closely with a midwifery clinical specialist because she mm-hmm. is working in a district of uh, 13 different areas in here in Australia to try and combat this very thing. Amazing work. And yeah. I say to her, but the, the problem is with my first birth, it basically mm-hmm. was an extraction I call it a cesarean through the vagina. They had to cut that thing yeah, from the very front I to the know. back.
1: So you had a vaginal C-section. Pretty like, much. A really nasty. Mm-hmm. Correct. You'd rather and have your abdomen cut, right?
0: Well, because then yeah. I, could, I couldn't sit for uh, a good two months Holy. on my bum at all. Like, mm-hmm. And then the stitches all came apart because obviously that area is high infection anyway. Mm-hmm. It's right near your anus. like, mm-hmm. <laughs> And it all falls apart. But the issue is, April, I'm not counted in any of those statistics at all because the hospital just says that it's normal. It's normal to go home with your ass hanging out of your pants and you can't Mm -hmm. sit. It's normal for your stitching to come undone and you can see inside. You're like, what What is that? uh,
1: Something's wrong. So
0: I feel like we can't actually accurately measure this because no one's ever asked. And I know, I actually spoke to so many women this week on the show, like, mm-hmm. I'm identical. This story mm-hmm. is, and, and some of them successfully did sue the hospital for an identical story, mm-hmm. but we're just not counted. Like, no, one, mm-hmm. no one's really doing research on this, are they? I don't know. You tell me. Mm-hmm. You Do you know anyone who's kind of looking into this? Do we even care? No, it's...
1: <laughs> I, what what is driving the research is the death rates right and okay. so i i think as we're seeing that go up i'm hoping that we're starting to see a better understanding of what's what's going on and my frustration too is i don't think induction should be on the table unless it's medically necessary but doctors are putting it on the table first mm. yeah because you have to think about it if you've gone in for an induction those contractions are nasty. They're on top of each other. They're really difficult to manage, which typically means you're going to need pain management sooner rather than later. Right. So then you're not upright. You may not be using gravity to your advantage. You may not be getting into birthing positions that you would have gotten into if you had been able to be walking around and getting into those productive positions. Cause some of the things I've seen women do in labor, <laughs> you're like, what are you doing? And they're like, don't mess with me. This feels good right now. And you're like, okay, cool. If this is working for you, it's working for you. So we lose so many of these advantages when we like, but like I said, if you have a reason for an induction, Mm. this changes so many things because how many babies have been saved and moms have been saved. Yeah. Birthing parents have been saved because of resources like C-sections and inductions. Right. So like preeclampsia, induction, like, of course, that's what, that's, that's what you need to do. So, and then you have to look at it and go, okay, what's the best way What's what's the safest, what evidence has shown us the best way to have a good health, like a a good induction. Well, let's keep them upright as long as we can. Let's stave off pain meds as long as we can manage. And even if we get on pain meds, can we put them in upright positions? Can we put them in all fours? You know, like, I love that. But if you don't have a doula there, (laughs) then you're looking at your partner who's like, I don't know. And you're like, everything hurts and I'm dying. Yeah. Until, (laughs) however,
0: after listening to this and listening to what you're saying I hope that women can share this with their birthing partner who's supporting them and say listen to this I need you to advocate for me at this point I have a good Mm -hmm. news story to share with you right and I'm sure it's probably really uncommon because I shared it in a forum once and I had midwives crying obstetricians Mm -hmm. Mm stone-faced to be expected (laughs) but I told them the journey of my second birth I I think naturally with um, trauma ran to the opposite option for me.
1: Of course. yeah. I,
0: I hired an obstetrician who I met a male who was lovely. He actually saw me when all the stitches came undone. He's like, oh, darling, what's happened to you? He straight away, he saw us and he heard us. So we felt a connection. Anyway, long story short, we found him. I said, I'm pregnant again. I really need you to help me this time after what happened last time. He's like, okay. Every yeah. single appointment we went to, one hour minimum, just talking through fear, yep. trauma. And I said yep. to him, I need a Caesar. I have to have a Caesar yep. this time. I can't deal. He's mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. let's talk about that. And then yeah. he gave me all the risks and all the mm-hmm. benefits for a second mm-hmm. vaginal birth and a Caesar. And I was like, oh, actually, that doesn't sound so easy. Caesar doesn't actually sound yeah. like the easy way out. He's like, okay, why don't we try? for a vaginal birth first at yeah. any point if something's wrong with you baby mentally mm-hmm. anxiety mm-hmm. I'm there we can do whatever you need I'm like wow okay but then i was that induction thing I said well what is mm-hmm. that and because I had it last time but I didn't know what it was he talked with you mm-hmm. and I said Simon I need that because I am mm-hmm. so scared of going into spontaneous labor at home with a one-year-old and I feel mm-hmm. like my pelvic organ prolapse is going to come out onto the floor mm, as the baby pushes. Totally. Cause I thought it was like mm-hmm. a plug, right?
1: Of course. Yeah. Trauma. You know, like a- Trauma. Yes.
0: Yes. So I opted for an induction, but I did find out a lot about it beforehand, but to be honest, not the medical risks for me. I was always just focused mm-hmm. on the baby. And I think yeah. more and more is coming out now, but that, process and he knew our wishes about me being, being active I was up I was walking around mm-hmm. being mm-hmm. induced and it was intense I promise you it was intense
1: oh yeah
0: but to the point where I just like just give me some gas or something and I had that and then mm-hmm. he was born like three hours and I was like three big pushes and he's out and I'm like that is the birth I thought childbirth was about that was so mm-hmm. healing for us
1: right? Mm, I'm so glad. <laughs> like this is, this is exactly how it should be.
0: I want that. I, for I had everyone. a good friend.
1: I want that for everyone. She'd yeah. had a C-section with her first. She was planning a V-back. She had this whole plan. And at the very tail end, she's like, I have this weird, gross feeling about mm-hmm. a vaginal delivery. She's like, I don't know what it is. I don't feel good about it. Mm-hmm. She's like, I think I want to plan a C-section. I was like, okay, let's just plan the best C-section. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Do you want to clear drape? How, you know, how conscious do you want to be? Like, there's so many things that you can do when you have someone like a provider who's going to sit with you and say, how can I best serve you and help you go through this? Obviously you've suffered some terrible trauma. Yeah. That's a good OB and those exist.
0: Yes. Well, and also, isn't it hard that we have to advocate for them to become good?
1: Yeah, it is. It's really frustrating, but they definitely exist out there because Really, my work as a doula was always just to see people feel empowered. I, I obviously for my own self, love unmedicated childbirth. Favorite, right? Yeah. But that's for me. That's the choice that I chose. That's that's how I ultimately decided to labor. And at the end of the day, even if that's your birth plan, even if that's what you choose, you also have to accept that whatever happens happens. As you know, it is just a complete roller coaster that you just get on and hope for the best. Yeah. <laughs> You know what, with birth, so.
0: birth plans, April, I would love to see them written because mm-hmm. our birth plan was pre-filled by our birthing um, classes that we paid for, mm-hmm. a very hypnobirthy style. And I just signed it. I was like, oh yeah, that sounds good. I want that. All I cared about was what outfit she was
1: wearing to go home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's... that's I honestly, love that's young like, motherhood. Isn't it so, so cute? <laughs> and that's what you
0: honestly think about. Well, or or, and I think this is a major concern. Women just say, am I going to poo? Am I going to poo during vaginal labor?
1: It doesn't matter. So much crap is coming out of you. It just doesn't even matter.
0: I wish someone (laughs) had said that to me. Like, don't worry about the poo. Worry about everything. Don't worry. That is the
1: least of your worries. (laughs) Seriously,
0: seriously. But I do hope That birthing plans do a really nice reshape in that they're written in collaboration with your midwife, your doula, Mm -hmm. your obstetrician, Mm -hmm. your psychologist, Mm -hmm. and your pelvic floor Mm -hmm. physiotherapist. So everyone has a little bit of input to guide you to shape ultimately what you are hoping.
1: What the best plan is for you.
0: Yeah. And then plan B.
1: With my third, my birth plan was mom and baby are one unit please keep it that way. Yeah. Because I was like, if I deliver her at home, that's going to work out exactly the way that it's supposed to. If I end up having to transfer, I want to be as involved in his care and as present for his care as humanly possible. If I end up having to transfer to the hospital and have X, Y, and Z happen, I want to be present and be involved with that happening. That's what I want. And so that, I mean, really that's what my birth plan boiled down to. Just I was like, eat. if there's a resuscitation, I want it done in my lap. I want to, to know what's going on. I want to be there. If he has to go to the NICU or whatever else, I want my husband going with it. Like, so when you that. simplify it down, right. I just boiled it right down to brass text Cause I was like, I am a crazy person at this point. I know exactly what the answers would be to any other questions that you ask in the moment because things change quickly in labor. Yeah. So I was like, that's, that's really the most important thing to me. So yeah. But yeah, I think it is important and birth plans are funny because people can get really really um uh, uh, invested in them. And I always tell them, "Yes, yeah, stuck." And I always tell them like, "Really your birth plan, this is just your opportunity to do your homework." Yeah. It's, it's your opportunity to read this list of questions, decide what you'd like to have done in that scenario if that happens. You should always have a backup plan. And the best part about preparing for an unmedicated childbirth is that those skills are gonna come in handy when they place your epidural or when they do your C-section. You're gonna still need to know how to go within yourself, mm. breathe mm. and work through and accept what's happening. And I mean, that's that's your best bet for having a successful labor and delivery, however it plays out, is Mm. to feel empowered, to hire a care provider that's going to empower you to be making those decisions, and then to learn how to do that, to go within yourself and breathe and accept whatever it is that's going on.
0: That's so hard. I'm just saying that's so so freaking hard, hard. and I feel like it's it's hard. It's a practice. So a lot of the women who we talk to who have had trauma, it's generally with their first birth. And by the second birth, like, oh, I get it now. So I have this bizarre (laughs) outside the box thought. Imagine, April, if we could give women the experience of labor before Mm -hmm. they were pregnant so -hmm. that their first time around is not 100% their first time around. And I was talking about it the other day and someone said, well, how do you do that? That's ridiculous. I'm like, well, we have virtual reality for so many things. I'm just curious if we could ever do anything like that. And it's not something you have to do. It's just,
1: a it would, mm-hmm. I, it would be a choice to know. or to Well, yeah. um, go take the hospital tour. I don't know if that's a thing. Like if yeah, you live in the hospital, go yep. tour the hospital, go see exactly where you want. Take pictures while you're there so that you can visualize being in that room. Yeah. Right watch birthing videos. YouTube is full of all, all the things we can see all of it at this point, right? Yeah. There's watch no reason. Yeah. Yeah. Find, find practices that align with what you want things to kind of look like. Watch those, uh, give your brain evidence that birth plays out this way. The birth looks like this, the birth takes place like this. Once you have some of that evidence, it helps build confidence that that's how things can go as well. And then I, I am a big fan of taking a minute to prepare for the worst. Walk through in your mind how you would react if X, Y, and Z happens, you know? Because I think if you've played some of those things out in your mind and walked through them, not to the point of creating, because it's so hard not to be so anxious, right? Oh my gosh. But not to the point of creating anxiety, just to the point of saying, okay, so if I end up needing a C section, I kind of would love the C section to be like this. And if it's an emergency C section and we can't do that, I have always tried to like empower my husband to like, hey, you're going to the NICU, make sure you do skin to skin. You know, if you can make sure you do this, if you can make sure you're involved with this and this and this, these are the decisions that I want made. If this and this happens, or if I'm put under for some reason, or walk through some of that worst case scenario, Write it on the very back corner of the birth plan, shelf it,
0: (laughs) (laughs) and then go back
1: to visualizing it, how you want it to play out.
0: I love that because at least you're pretending like it's not there. I think during my education was like, you don't even need to worry about that. But it, in the back of my mind, it was still going, hello, we're still here. We haven't gone That's, away. That
1: happens sometimes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And I, I think it's interesting to to also learn, like obviously publishing a book and research is that there's like seven or six different ways you can birth a baby. Like, you know, you can have a free birth. Oh, and yeah. then all the way like the spectrum is amazing Mm -hmm. to have a gentle Mm -hmm. cesarean where you can help pull the baby
1: out yes yes so good this is an option i know i know it's beautiful and like i said it doesn't matter this does not mean anything about you as a person this does not all the stigma crap has got it i'm done i'm done with all the judgment what i want the judgment we have to get out of judgment what i want for everybody is to walk away feeling empowered yeah. I know plenty of people who have had beautiful and empowered C-sections. Incredible. Like, I love too, someone's like, okay, I want an epidural. So I don't know if I need a doula. And I'm like, no, let's just, let's push that epidural off just a little bit further. Let's just get you a little bit more progressed. And then let's get the epidural when things get like super nasty. And they have beautiful empowered. Cause once again, they're the ones making the decisions. No one's bullying them into it. They're not feeling like, oh my gosh, I failed. Cause yeah. that's, I just, I can't, no one should feel like they failed. Ever you had a child come out of you there's no failure in that and I don't understand how we could ever possibly make that equal failure in any way
0: yeah we thought we failed um calm birth hypnobirth that I thought I failed that ideology oh,
1: so sad
0: seriously April you I would ask feel that way when I would ask myself the questions and I'd say did I not do the meditations enough did I not did I not believe it enough yeah I mustn't have done a good enough job and you do feel like you failed yeah yeah don't
1: totally. and you shouldn't you shouldn't because like what's the win right is that everyone does walk away alive and well and not feeling like they failed you don't need to take that on that's weird judgment that we need to let go of
0: and we probably it's probably part of that trauma spiral
1: It is part of the trauma spiral, of course. I mean, that's what's tricky is you have the societal and the cultural crap, right? But then I, and then you internalize a lot of these things and then the trauma doesn't help any because you're like, not only did I not do this the way that I set out to, but also I, I had a whole bunch of horrible things happen to me. So I really must've messed up. And that's just not true. You had arbitrary things happen to you that happened to people in childbirth, Mm. Yeah. Right. And totally. you can't feel like a failure. You can't feel like a failure over that. I mean, obviously, like feel your feelings, but you yeah, shouldn't not, feel no, like a failure over that. Yeah. <laughs> and you, you do, you do learn to grow out of that
0: space, and that took a long time and a lot of psychology um, yeah. to not feel the guilt, like I failed my husband as well, and not, uh, uh, we'll leave that no. in 2015.
1: <laughs> Good. And the healing, yeah,
0: <laughs> the, the healing journey is continual 100%. If anyone listening has a pregnant person friend right now, make sure you share this with them because, wow, I wish you were around in my life, April. I'm just going to say that. In I'd love to be there. I think we
1: would totally hang out and have some lunch. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and to feel that even though I know, and you've said it yourself, that your natural birth advocacy is your jam. That's where you, that's where mm-hmm. you sit you would never pass that on to me if I came to you and said, could you be my doula and I want a Caesar? And that, I think that's rare. I think it's really rare. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, and I, I even love to get away from the term natural birth. What's natural. I agree. What I say- unmedicated? Sure. Like, yeah. sure. Like maybe you went without drugs or you didn't do this or this or this, but natural, mm-hmm. I even don't even love that term anymore. Cause I'm like, <sighs> you're such a gem. <laughs> <laughs> Because I don't to know. me, well, we fix this stuff.
0: I've got mums through their journey to motherhood on this show this season who are talking about adoption. There's nothing more natural mm-hmm, about mm-hmm. a mom loving a child that didn't loving come out baby. of their body. Mm-hmm. Far out. So I think, I know you've given us so much, but would there be one piece of advice for anyone listening today on how they can either help themselves as a birthing person or their partner?
1: what I was talking about previously, learn how to go within yourself, Hmm. learn how to process, learn how to to roll with the punches. That looked a lot. Like I did a lot of prenatal yoga during my, and I had nasty, horrible pregnancies. I felt felt like a failure in that way too. All my friends had these beautiful pregnancies where they were so happy and glowing. I was puking my guts out and taking a whole bunch of medication, which was so stressful because who wants to be on medication when you're pregnant? No. You know, like who it's wants so to scary. feel like
0: who wants to feel like shit when you sit, when all the brochures and all the books tell you it's lovely if you just rub your belly, smile, you're glowing, mm-hmm. and you probably mm-hmm. just like get this baby out. I can't handle this. Yeah, my body. Do this it's not fair. It's not yeah. fair.
1: No. Yeah, right. So I, I hear you, but we have to get out of those those mindsets and build the sisterhood, right? Build yeah. the motherhood sisterhood, build the parenthood community. Yeah. Support each other. When your friend says, I went through a traumatic experience and it was so hard, Mm. remove all your judgment and go, tell me why it was hard.
0: Talk to me about that.
1: Love, talk to me about that. Love your community. Show them the love, expect love back, you know, but let's get rid of all the judgment crap we've been doing.
0: Oh, I love you. You are so part of this community for now and forever, my (laughs) friends. Thank you so much for talking with us today. It has been a true honor. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, April. You know what I love most about April in this episode is that you can absolutely still talk about something serious and important, but also have a little bit of a laugh. She doesn't take herself too seriously. And I guess when you have something like the vagina blog, you know your place in the world and she's really clear about her own position in childbirth. But she doesn't let that judgment and her own thoughts project onto someone else who may have a different idea or a different ideology about childbirth so i hope you were able to answer that question about how to get the most successful labor and delivery for you and i think here are just a few key takeaways number one putting in the time to do your homework in terms of finding a healthcare provider that will sit down and listen to you and what you were hoping to get from this birth number two to be flexible in your birthing plan This is to help you become unstuck on just one particular way because there's so much unknown. Being flexible and talking through things that could happen will hopefully prepare us that little bit better when we're in the midst of it. And number three is to be able to walk away feeling empowered from your birth. And I guess that's probably the most important thing you can do. If you can communicate that, to your healthcare provider and say I want to walk away feeling empowered from my birth experience then hopefully you're on the right track to getting that support you need and just before we go if you or someone you know is thinking about trying modi body underpants for your periods or leakage remember there's a code that can help you get started that is brave mama 22 B R A V E. M-U-M-M-A, which you can put in at the checkout. There is a direct link in the show notes to make it really easy if you wanted to check it out. So until next time, bye for now.